Is this thing still on? I think they can hear us a bit better now. Should we keep talking? Of course. Let's say it louder for those in the back. Hi, and welcome to the Green Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion about health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And my name is Sarah Fung. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get updates on new episodes. If you love our podcast and our advocacy work, please go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the Support Us button. This will give you access to exclusive episodes and early releases on a monthly basis. This will help us with the cost of running the podcast, the time and energy to put out awesome and informative episodes. And for that, we thank you and we appreciate you. Hi, everyone. This is a little bit of a heavier topic. So trigger warning, let's just put that out there first, because we will be talking about perinatal mood disorder, as well as early pregnancy loss. So October is actually a perinatal loss awareness month. And this was actually something that actually I held very near and dear to my heart. And I think probably Sarah has many experiences working where she did in her clinical area um, in relation to this. I think this is a very important topic to talk about. A lot of folks shy away from these conversations and I I don't think that we should. And I think it's just an important conversation to continue to have because especially when it comes to mental health, we don't talk too much about during pregnancy, trying to get pregnant, and then, you know, losses and things in between and what perinatal mental health looks like as a whole. So although, you know, we have our happy and our Halloween scary episodes, we thought that we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about perinatal loss and perinatal mental health this month. Right. And I think that when we think about pregnancy and childbirth, it's generally viewed as a happy time. But there are other aspects to this journey that a lot of people don't talk about or aren't aware of. And it's really hard because a lot of women, when they go through a a loss, regardless of what stage of uh, pregnancy you're at, it is very traumatic. A lot of women feel alone. And um, we should just talk about it and normalize it. Both of us being former obstetrical nurses, this is part of the job. It's something that we dealt with, I would say, often enough. And I also, for a period of time, I worked in an early pregnancy clinic where a lot of women, after experiencing an early loss, would usually go to emergency and be followed up with an appointment in my clinic. So I did provide a lot of that emotional support and sort of started to see what a lot of the issues were. So um, I think it's really important that we touch upon this topic under the broader umbrella of uh, perinatal mental health and just destigmatize a lot of the issues that we're talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe what we can start this episode with is just a couple, you know, textbook definitions about, you know, what perinatal mood and anxiety disorders are and kind of just a little bit about the stats. So I pulled some information from CAMH and then Sarah, feel free to kind of jump in and throw in some of the stats that you found as well. This is what I found from uh, CAMH, which is the Center of Addictions and Mental Health uh, here in, um, in Ontario. So perinatal mood and anxiety disorders arise during pregnancy 
pregnancy or in the first year postpartum. They affect between 10 to 20% of pregnant women and new mothers and a non-childbearing parent can experience problems as well. I actually really like that that was right in the first sentence because I think when I think back to even my own experiences, so I've actually had I've had three losses, uh, one due to an ectopic. I really remember the focus primarily being on me. Obviously, I was the patient. I was the one who physically and emotionally experienced that loss, but my husband was there too. And I remember them really actually not talking to him <laughs> really at all, not really directing any bits of the conversation to him. And I think that's such a missed opportunity because although I was the one that was experiencing it, I even remember in my own clinical practice that most of the times when we had conversations, it was surrounding the the patient who experienced the loss. But um, after many conversations, even with my husband, he expressed how difficult the loss was on him. And I think it's also important to identify that folks on the other end, whoever that other parent might be, can also experience problems with loss as well. Yeah, you actually took the words right out of my mouth, Amy, because um, I was looking up some articles about myths, right, about perinatal depression. And one of the myths is that it only happens to women, which we know is not true, because um, in what I found, studies have found that up to 10% of new fathers, or let's say partners, of the person giving birth get postpartum depression most often in the first three to six months after a baby's born. And a new father or partner is more likely to be depressed if their partner has postpartum depression. So it's like this ripple effect. And I think that birth is a part of a family. It's a family event. So it's not just the person giving birth. It's it's everyone involved. So I think it's important not to overlook that other person. I think the other piece to the myth is that we women and men and whatever, you know, and let's really talk about like non-binary terms, but that we experience a loss in a different way. I think what people should say is, you know, folks might differently express the way that they experience loss, but the feelings that occur are still valid and very, very important and relevant. And I think that, you know, I can only speak to my my own personal experience, but like my husband was much more quiet about it where I was. I think I suffered in silence. I think it was something that I probably should have um, verbalized more. But again, I think it was more of this, you know, I needed to talk about it, but there was also times where I just, I didn't want to. And I think my husband wanted to talk about it too, but he wasn't too sure if I was ready to talk about it. So there was a lot of silence and that caused obviously a little bit of, you know, let's say it caused, you know, some feelings where I felt that maybe he wasn't concerned, where it was really, again, communication, just having communication about these types of challenges. And I think that, you know, we need to recognize that folks will experience this differently. And I think that, Again, when we talk about loss, like everybody experiences loss in general in a different way. So someone, I think this was something, a principle that we both were taught that, you know, someone who might have a six week loss doesn't necessarily experience the way someone who has like a six month loss and they, you know, the emotions can be different on for different people. And I think it's just, it's, it's, you really have to look at this as 
whatever the patient is saying, whatever they're expressing and, you know, respect the way that they're dealing with it. Because for some people, it might not be that big of a deal, but for some other folks, it is a big, big deal. And I think we should just, even as practitioners, we should really go off of how that individual is expressing themselves. And then again, just continue to ask deeper questions because I feel like a lot of people really try to back away when this is happening. And, you know, we've seen it too, where, you know, someone experiences that loss and the practitioner is like, I'm so sorry for your loss. And then they're like gone, right? They're just like, I don't want to deal with those raw emotions. And they really shy away from those rooms. And I think that's, again, another huge missed opportunity to have to show that human side that, you know, we are not just robots, that we actually have feelings. I think showing that is that is not a bad thing. Yeah. And it's really about being there for the person, right? So if you don't know what to say, say, I don't know what to say or say, how can I help you in this moment? Because there are so many unhelpful things to say as we've learned from training, right? So never start any sentence with at least, right? So at least your baby was only 12 weeks along, or you can try to have another one, or at least you have another child already, right? Because that diminishes the whole experience. And I think just going back to what you said about the cultural aspect, in North American culture, it's really common not to mention your pregnancy until you're 12 weeks along. So if you, let's say, had a loss before then, I guess nobody would know. But I had a friend that went through a loss, and she's from a different country. And she said, I wanted to share with everyone because... I did have a loss and it was before 12 weeks. And if I didn't share that, then I wouldn't have any support. So she kind of viewed it the opposite way. So just going back to what you're saying, I think it's just really important to ask the person what they want to do and not just assume anything. Because it's true, though, a lot of women have losses before 12 weeks and they because they haven't told anyone, they also feel like they can't share that loss with anyone. You're 100% right. And I think just even thinking about my own experience, I remember, I think this was actually, so I guess it would have been my pregnancy after my twins. I remember um, Jordan and I shared very early. I think maybe I was like four or five weeks, like just kind of on the cusp because I was, I was going through fertility and stuff. And I remember like we were excited, we shared it. And then it was like the most devastating when, you know, now it was a pregnancy loss. And I remember feeling it was the weirdest thing. I remember feeling shame. It was like, but but it was weird. It was like, why am I feeling shame that, you know, I told people about this pregnancy. I was super excited. We were excited. We were excited as a family. And then immediately when I had a loss, the first thought was like feeling shame. It's such a messed up thing that it was like, I felt shameful that like it's like my body let me down and then now I'm letting everybody else down but it's like the -hmm. the mental aspect was so messed up that I actually felt that type of emotion when there's there's nothing to be shameful about and I think this is the the other piece where you know particularly for folks who are experiencing this I want people to feel that it's not your fault. Like it's not, it's not, there's nothing you could have done or eaten or exercised less or whatever the case may be that could have prevented what happened. Cause I think there's, we put so much burden on ourselves to say, oh, you know, maybe if I did this or if I did this differently, the outcome would have been different. And sometimes it is just what it is. And that I want people to know that they're, they should not feel any shame to, to, you know, express, to let people know or not to let people know. I mean, I think that's, a, again, that's a, a very personal decision. But I don't think folks should feel ashamed at all um, when these situations happen. I can't imagine what it's like to have a loss or have multiple losses and question every single thing you did 
every day of that pregnancy to kind of figure out what you did wrong when you didn't do anything wrong. And it really makes me frustrated because the number of hours I spent on the phone with women who blame themselves and, you know, trying to reassure them that lifting that, you know, can of soup didn't cause their miscarriage. But also, if someone you know is going through a miscarriage, please don't try to analyze with them or tell them what they should or shouldn't have done and make them feel worse about the situation. Because the truth is, a lot of times we'll never know. But the more likely thing is it was probably going to happen anyway, because a lot of times it's due to abnormalities within the fetus. And we just want to support women and not shame them. We're going through enough and we have enough pressure on ourselves already as it is. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. And I think that you know, there, there's some more statistics out there that talk about, you know, women who have had uh, a mental illness, or I should say folks who've had a mental illness previous, um, or within their, or during their reproductive years, can also, you know, have more or be at greater risk for having perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, which actually kind of makes sense. But it's also really essential to let your practitioners know because it can occur and it can happen to you. And I think that, you know, women and uterus dwelling individuals, folks are just reluctant to report any psychiatric symptoms, right? I think, again, this is the problem with um, so much stigma surrounding mental health, right? Let's talk about those early initial stages where you just you just feel sad. You're just like, I don't know why I feel this way. I just feel sad. I'm overwhelmed. There's a lot of change. And then when you continue to feel that, that that's the piece where people are afraid to actually say anything. And I think that we have to get beyond the fact that we can't have these conversations and that, you know, it's actually having sadness at the beginning is actually quite normal. Like, I, I don't know about you, Sarah, but I remember when I first brought my twins home, I was like, this is crazy. And my life changed dramatically. Like I remember what it was like before having twins to now having two screaming kids messing up my sleep. It's it's a huge life change and I think it takes time to adjust. And I think there's this this fallacy that we have to be happy all the time. Like yes, children are a blessing, all of that stuff. I I agree, but I think we also need to, you know, shift the way that folks think about this to to say, you know what? There are times where it's scary and it's fucked up and it's okay to be like, "Man, this is scary and fucked up and I need I need someone to have these conversations with." We, we need to start having pulling back these ideologies in terms of, you know, I think we see it on those like parenting magazines and stuff, right? It's like, happy mom. It's like an accessory. We're all we're all smiling and jogging. And it's like, that's not how it always is at the at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think that when even even when I had my first right, I remember coming home from the hospital and putting the car seat down on the floor and thinking, my life will never be the same again from this day forward. And as prepared as I thought I was, like I'd been an L&D nurse, I'd been a postpartum nurse, I had, you know, I, fe- I felt like I had a, no- a lot of knowledge in breastfeeding, I taught prenatal classes, even I was thrown for a loop. And I thought this is way harder than I thought it could be. And I felt as prepared I could as I could possibly be. I can only imagine how other people felt. And when my first child had colic, I was like, I don't know how anybody does this that's a single mom because I'm at my breaking point and I have so much help and I have so much knowledge. And one thing I wanted to mention is that 
when you're a nurse, I think people tend to assume that you know everything and you need less support because you know what you're doing. And I found that very few people, and this might be a common um, experience, very few people asked how I was doing, but everybody asked how the baby was doing. And I kind of wanted somebody just to ask if I needed anything rather than what's the baby's name? What was the weight? Like, what time did you give birth? Like those types of questions. Yeah, no, I think I, it's almost like the standard, right? Where it's just like you you as an individual have been kind of like removed and, and disembodied from the experience. And now it's just this child. And I think that, um, again, that's just another thing that folks need to recognize that, you know, I think within those first couple weeks, it's so important to have those supports and have those, those conversations. And I remember I actually got a lot of help, to be honest. I think about how many folks came and slept over or took shifts while I, you know, like just to help, but it's still, I guess when it comes to mental health and your brain chemistry. And I think this is the other thing that folks need to recognize is sometimes even though you have all that help, you might need extra help and it might not come in the form of dishwashing, getting an extra nap, getting to shower. It might come in the form that you need to actually see a psychologist. And I think that's the piece where folks are really, really reluctant because maybe they're afraid that, you know, child protective services will be called on them because they're having these thoughts or they, they are thinking that they can't be a good parent or, you know, they're just, they just feel ashamed that, they should be overjoyed or over the moon and they don't feel that way, right? They feel icky or they feel like they're just doing a really bad job. I think when I used to have conversations with um, folks and late and, and uh, individuals who just had a child, a lot of it was just like, I just don't know that I'm doing this right. And I don't think that I'm doing this right. Or I'm, I'm a bad parent. And it's just like, no, like this is just the natural progression of things, but we have to have those conversations to make it, make folks feel like it is normal and it is normal, but it's such a challenging state where we, we don't talk about these things often enough. And again, like I, I really target the media and other moms too, sometimes, you know, who are posting these things on in Instagram and these stories and making it seem like it's perfection when it's not. It is being a, a parent is a messy, messy job. Literally. I think it's okay to share that it's messy. It's not cute. There are times where it's cute and it's fun and it's bubbly. But other than that, it's really, really challenging. And I think we need to move away from those images where we just, you know, like I remember going, I don't know about you, Sarah, but I remember going to, you know, some of those like all day centers or, you know, parenting centers. And there'd be some of those folks that'd be like, yeah, my baby slept throughout the night since they were born and I've never had challenges and I, you know, this and that. And it's just like, could you, could you just be honest? And I think that's what we need to all be. Just be honest with one another to be like, this is challenging. It's hard. And share some of those stories because I think that'll make people feel like they're not alone in these situations. Yeah. And just understand that there are all different types of babies, right? Just like babies are people too. So they have personalities from birth. And yes, there are those angel babies that frustrate the hell out of me that sleep through the night, like from day one. But 
that's not the normal type of baby. Like, I don't think you should hold that to a standard you should aspire to. Just try not to compare yourself. Like, it's not, motherhood is not a competition. You're just doing, we're all doing the best we can. Everybody has their issues, whether you know it or not. Um, I think part of it is also that we've lost our tribe, right? Like, a lot of people don't live close to their families. They don't know anybody where they live. And having that tribe of moms is just so helpful, right? Because a lot of times you talk about things and realize you're not alone. And just going back to what you said about the play center, right? The moms that are struggling are the ones that couldn't even make it to the play center, okay? You're damn right. (laughs) The fact that you made it to the play center means that you accomplished something that day. And of course, those women that, you know, look perfect because their baby never cries, of course they made it because they didn't have any issues freaking getting there in the first place. (laughs) So don't be too hard on yourself. And especially with the pandemic, right? Like everything just, everything stopped. And I know a lot of women that had uh, children during the pandemic all feel the same, that they didn't get that opportunity. We're, we're all in the same boat here. So I think it's just trying to make the best of the situation. And I do think that one of the biggest fears of all parents is that if they disclose that they're having feelings of depression or anxiety, that they're going to take my baby away. That is not I would say in the vast majority of cases, that is not what happens if you disclose that you're having struggles. People want to help you. They want to help you be a good parent. They don't want to take your baby away. That's probably the the worst thing that that you know you can think because people just want to help you get better. But you can't get better if you aren't going to ask for help, right? Yeah, no, 100%. And I, I do want to identify and just kind of put out there as well, just from like a health equity standpoint, that generally, yes, the standpoint is that they don't want to take your children away. Obviously not. But there are some health equity concerns and inequities that we have seen in certain racialized groups. So we have seen, unfortunately, and this needs to change that, you know, folks that are Indigenous, they tend to We've there's stats that show about the removal and the CAS involvement. Same with folks that are, you know, um, let's say they have challenges with um, drug usage or dependency, that these services tend to be over-involved. And again, this is now something we need to look at from a health equity equitable lens and to really recognize that those challenges do exist and persist again. But yeah, like at the end of the day, they shouldn't be taking your children. This is something that we that that is actually correctable. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of folks feel like, you know, um, there isn't treatment or I can't take treatment because, you know, let's say I'm breastfeeding or whatever. Um, there's a lot of treatments out there that can that are pharmacological, non-pharmacological that won't impact the baby. And I think that's other other things that folks need to understand that, you know, maybe you do need that extra step. I remember feeling very ashamed that I had to take medication while I was pregnant with with my daughter, Emily, because I had intrapartum and I guess I had antepartum. So I had intrapartum, antepartum and postpartum depression. And the thing is, like, I think that it actually made me a better mom. <laughs> Let's just be honest, because I think I had like I, I needed that treatment. I needed that extra that extra care to make sure that I could continue to be the best person for her, for for my boys and for my entire family. And there shouldn't be shame there. And I think that, you know, there is so much shame surrounding just one disclosing that you have a mental issue, disclosing that fact that you might need medication and extra treatment. And we need to stop that. So stop it. Stop shaming people out there. Right, right. And shame can come in many different forms. So nonverbal too, right? Like your facial expression, your body language, that can give it all away. Even if you say that, you know, oh, that's fine. You know, just think about 
from the mom's perspective how shameful she probably already feels, although she shouldn't. And then if she were to share it with someone and have that reaction, that's traumatizing. So please, please stop that. And I think the other piece is just talking about like the impact of untreated perinatal mental health problems, right? So like, what are some of the things that we can see? And let's, let's go to straight to the sensational things and and really say that's actually very very rare because I think most people when you think about like perinatal mood disorders they go straight to psychosis right and psychosis doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to harm the baby actually there's a lot of evidence that suggests that when an individual does reach psychosis, that they're more likely to harm themselves. And again, I think there's a lot of studies that are underreported in seeing psychosis in, in, in pregnant or postpartum patients. It's unfortunate that those, those very rare cases are sensationalized where, you know, someone has had a perinatal mood disorder and then you hear on the news that they've done this terrible atrocity to their children and themselves or whatever the case may be very 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 rare and i hate that the media had done that that they turned um you know perinatal mood disorders into this very very demonic thing and um it's wrong and in terms of the evidence it's actually we don't see that very often at all i don't even want to mention the cases because i don't want to bring attention to them but it is a sensational story. It's almost like when you hear about a serial killer, people are just like, they want to know for the sake of entertainment, but not really for the sake of helping the cause. So let's just focus on what we can do and, you know, support women when they mention that they're struggling. If you know someone that's just had a baby, ask them how they're doing. Um, offer your help. I think one of the hardest things is that although you do have a lot of help during the day, usually at night you're on your own. And usually at night is when it's the hardest, right? Because you're, you've are you got a screaming baby, you're tired, you're trying to get them to sleep. There's just not much at night. Like once you get through that, yes, there is help, hopefully. Um, but the nights are definitely the hardest, I would say. And I'm I'm not going to lie. I went through nights where I was just crying because I didn't know what to do. And I felt like the night was never going to end. But really, um, it doesn't. You know, it's it's a long time. What's that phrase? It's like the longest, shortest time. Like in the moment, it feels like forever. But then you look back and like five years have gone by and your kids are growing up. Right. I, no, I agree with you. The nights are the worst. Um, and I think that, you know, I think we just need to think about some of the things that we can do. I think you started to kind of allude to them to, to actually, you know, talk about and deal with perinatal mental health problems. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I want to mention one other thing just in relation to the impact. So again, if, if you do have um, untreated mental illness in pregnancy and postpartum, it does carry some risk and risk can include, you know, low, low infant birth weight, preterm delivery. So early delivery, um, earlier than 37 weeks, there has been some studies showed that talk about increased risk of developmental um, and emotional behavioral problems within childhood and then even poor infant learning and cognitive development and of course there's many many effects on the mother in terms of you know continued anxiety depression and these things changing and getting even worse if they're left untreated so again i think it's just an important step to to seek out treatment and then what are some of the things that we can do to to treat um, perinatal mental health problems, or at least to, what are some of the things that we could do to support folks who might be going through this? And I think the first thing, again, is just having conversations like we're having today to really normalize the fact that 
it's okay to not be okay and to reach out to someone if you need help. Yeah, I think it's important to prioritize uh, new parents too. So make sure that we are giving them all the support and all the non-judgmental care we can. Um, it's it's a really difficult time. And I think just taking that extra step to reach out to anybody that's recently, um, you know, either had a baby or seems like they're struggling. So maybe this, this, the symptoms or what they're talking about are really vague, but they seem to be asking for help or they're asking for advice constantly. That might be a sign that they there's something deeper, right? And we need to look at what that is. And I think just even talking about this and making sure that we're all aware that it is normal to have baby blues. Postpartum depression is uh, something that is more common than we realize. And it's like the oxygen mask protocol, right? You need to Make sure that you're okay so that you can look after your baby. And it does have a lot of effects, as you mentioned, Amy, including impaired ability to bond with your child if you are depressed. So I think it's really important that you um, get treated so that you can be the best parent possible and really make sure that it doesn't carry on into postpartum depression or just ongoing depression that started in the postpartum or antepartum period. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think there are there are even studies that suggest breastfeeding can also help support mood disorders as well. And again, breastfeeding is a whole challenge on its own. But there are some evidence there is some evidence to suggest that breastfeeding actually can reduce perinatal mental health issues as well. I think the the important piece is just being able to recognize those symptoms. So what do they look like? You might be going through this. I think that, you know, having tears and crying in those early stages, that's normal. But if it is extending beyond four to six weeks and you're, you know, you're getting into your first visit with the doctor and you're still feeling very, very sad, like those are some of the beginning points to saying that there might be some depression anxiety. And then again, I think when those tears start turning into thoughts, right, you know, I'm not a good parent, I'm a bad parent. And I think the thoughts, I guess I would say would be intrusive. So, you know, regardless of what you do, you just think that you're you're shitty, you're, you can't continue to do this. I think that is another red flag that you need some support and you need to reach out to whoever your primary care provider is to, to let them know that you're having these thoughts. And hopefully we can catch them at these earlier stages where you can have that treatment to, to get support. Some of the other symptoms, which may be hard to identify at first because you're so tired and being a new parent is really a big change, is that your mind just can't shut off. So even if there is no reason for you to be up at night, you just can't shut your mind off and you're constantly thinking about things that could go wrong. So you're worried that the baby's going to stop breathing. You're worried that you haven't fed the baby enough. Like just all these little things just keep bubbling up and it's something that is not normal to you or um, maybe you don't enjoy doing anything anymore, like nothing, like not even watching your favorite shows and your partner or people close to you notice a personality change. That's another sign to at least get help or have that conversation with a provider. Yeah. And again, of course, late term symptoms could be anything. It can range from anything to, you know, you are now not sleeping. So um, your your sleep reduction has been is has been pretty much non-existent to where you're having, you know, suicidal or homicidal types of thoughts. Um, again, at that point, um, this is clearly an urgent that this this patient will need urgent attention and they need to go to an emergency uh, room. And again, I think the other piece is having that 
other person who's there with you to identify these things too. So, you know, um, whether it's your friend or whether it's your spouse, whether it's someone who's living with you, who's seeing these mood changes, I think it's really important that they identify and also get help for that person. Because sometimes when you're, you're well past those stages where you can recognize that you need help, that it's really good that someone else, you know, um, says, Hey, I think I'm going to take you into uh, the emergency department or to see your primary care provider because you need that extra, that extra support and resource and not to feel fearful to, you know, step in to provide that support. And I think the other piece that we we definitely miss is new residents, new immigrants to, um, you know, our whether it's Canada or the U.S., I think it's such an uh, uh, underserviced area when if they don't have resources and support. And I think that's something that we as healthcare providers can do a better job. And this is, again, that health equity lens where we can really say, okay, you know, we have a newcomer. How do we support them to prevent, again, you know, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders when they don't have the same resources that they would have in their home country? How do we make sure that they're connected here as well? Because there is evidence that shows that folks that are newcomers can support, can um, have these mood and anxiety disorders. And it can be very alarming if, again, if it was something that they wouldn't have previously experienced. So, definitely work that we could do on our end as practitioners as well. Something as simple as peer support, right? So it doesn't necessarily have to be a healthcare provider. It can be a peer. It can be someone that even speaks their same language or is from their country uh, just to make them feel less alone and understand some of the cultural uh, nuances that they're going through. So we've talked a lot about loss and uh, mood disorders. And I just want to emphasize that mental health is health, which is what we say all the time. Don't be ashamed to talk about the struggles you're going through or to get help. Make sure that you take care of yourself so that uh, you can take care of your family and your children. If you have a story that you want to share or you have any feedback about this episode, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear it. Absolutely. I, I was actually going to ask you, I said, Sarah, do you, I, I thought there was an article that you wanted to talk about. Oh, yes, yes, there is. Um, so there was an article put out recently about a former coworker of mine who experienced postpartum depression after her second child. And she, of course, she's a nurse. And I think part of what she mentioned is that people felt that because she was a nurse and because she'd already had a child, that they didn't want to ask any questions about how she was feeling. And it wasn't until she'd gone through this process and she mentioned how she had this these feelings of just anxiety, like intense anxiety. And she couldn't explain it and she hadn't experienced it with her first. But it was just... It wasn't until she hit a breaking point that she realized that she needed help. So I think it's just, you know, not making those assumptions that because you've had a child before or you're in a certain profession or you um, are from a certain background that you don't need help. Like everyone at some point needs help and not to uh, stigmatize any of that, I think is really important. That's all I really wanted to mention about that article is just that there are lots of people that we may know in our lives or maybe not know that are going through this. So it's a lot more common than we think. And it's something that we need to normalize and we need to keep talking about. A hundred percent. I think that that's that's actually a very good point that, you know, we as healthcare providers sometimes think that our other healthcare provider friends are just doing fine. You know, it's like, oh, you, they're a nurse or a doctor, they're, you know, whatever. They, they've got this under control. And I think we just have to remember that at the end of the day, we're just humans. We're just, we're just individuals who are going through this life and it doesn't matter what your specialty is having a child is an experience and everybody will need help and it and you should reach out at the end of the day 
Thanks for listening.